Hi, my name is Cheryl, and I'm part of the staff here at Menlo Church, and it is good to be with you. We are in a series that we've entitled First Things First, because we want to journey through the book of Acts. It's a book in the New Testament that basically gives a kind of history of the first church. And so we want to look at them, and we want to find out what did they put first? What was their priority as a church? Because we want to put those same things first. We want to make those things our priority as a church because our priorities shape us and determine who we are and what we do. And so last week we talked about prayer, that one of the first things that the early church did was they prayed and they prayed a lot. And we're gonna do that together as a church. I love that prayer is embedded in the history, the long history of Menlo Church. And so starting today, we're gonna be praying and fasting for 90 days. And so don't go there now, but, because I'm talking, but go to the website and you can grab all kinds of information and tools. Uh, There's a place there for you to sign up to fast one of the days. There's a place for you to grab our um, weekly prayer guide. It's real short. It's just three things to pray each day. And we'll be putting those out each week. You can sign up for a text prompt. Uh, We're also going to be, we're going to be going old school. We're going to have a prayer meeting this Wednesday night. just 30 minutes from 8 to 8.30. You can get the Zoom link uh, there as well. So anyway, all the things. Mountain View, our Mountain View campus is putting on a five-week class on prayer. And the beautiful thing today is that it's online. So you don't have to go to Mountain View to be a part of that. So all that stuff, all your information, head to our website. So last week we talked about prayer. And this week we're going to talk about purpose we're gonna talk about what was the purpose of the early church because their purpose is our purpose. And it's not just a religious purpose, it's the purpose that marks those who follow Jesus. When you go to work, with your family, with your friends and in relationship, we wanna talk about this God-empowered purpose that we see in the early church. And so if you have a Bible, Uh, Turn to Acts chapter 2, that's where we're going to be, and let me pray. Oh, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the rich heritage of Menlo Church that has been a church that prays, a church that longs to know your way and your will. And God, today, we want to know your purpose for us. And so I pray, would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, my God, my rock, my savior, my Lord, my friend. And would you bring your word to life to us as we look into it today, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna be in Acts chapter two, but actually, Um, I need to go back to Acts chapter one, which I mentioned that I was gonna be doing um, because last week I kind of had to skim over a bunch of things that are really important and that set up Acts chapter two. So we need to go back to Acts chapter one. You don't need to turn there. I'll just kind of cruise through it and then we'll open our Bibles up to Acts chapter two. But in Acts chapter one, what we see, we see Jesus. We see Jesus who has died on a cross, been resurrected, and now he's spent 40 days gathering his followers and the scripture tells us that he's been teaching them about the kingdom 
of God, about his rule and his reign. And then in this scene in Acts chapter one, we see Jesus who's pulling together kind of the leadership of the church. He's pulling together these guys and he's gonna tell them, hey, this is the purpose for the church. This is the purpose for you. And he's gonna tell them that the spirit is gonna come down and it's gonna empower them for their purpose. Says this, Jesus says this in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Not you might receive power, not I hope you kind of get it together and then maybe I'll give you some power. Jesus gives this really gracious promise and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then he says, and you will be, not you might be, I hope you can be. He says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, which was a place they weren't quite sure they wanted to go into, but a place that Jesus loved to go to. You're gonna be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And this, this little verse turns into kind of an outline for the whole book of Acts, because we're gonna see them as we go, taking journeys from Jerusalem to Judea, which was the region, it'd be like the Bay Area, right? Into those places uh, like Samaria, that they weren't sure they wanted to go, but Jesus was calling them to go, and then ultimately to the whole world. And I believe that Jesus has the same purpose for us. I believe that he wants to gather his church and he wants to say to us, just as clearly as he said to those guys on that day, he wants to say to us, hey, when you follow me, when you place your trust and your faith in me, when you follow me, my spirit is gonna come upon you. The Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you and, and you're going to be witnesses of my goodness and what I've done and what I've said and what I've taught you. And he would say that to us, Menlo, he would say, and I want you to take that to Saratoga. And I want you to take that to San Jose and to Mountain View, to Menlo Park to San Mateo, to South City, and beyond into the Bay Area. I want you to be people who proclaim who I am and what I've done, and you do it in your words and you do it in your good deeds, right? And I want you to take it to people who maybe wouldn't be the first people that you'd wanna take it to, right? Maybe people that you're not sure you wanna enter into relationship with. Dodger fans, I'm a Dodger fan, don't be a hater. Republicans, Democrats, Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses. And I have people say this to me often, they'll say, you know, I'm not an evangelist. And actually that word evangelist is kind of scary to us. But I guarantee you're a witness. We're all witnesses. What Jesus is saying is, you're gonna be a person who saw something and you tell other people about it. That's what a witness is. And we do it all the time, right? We're witnesses. We got a Roomba and suddenly we need to tell everybody they need a Roomba, right? 
We've been to Italy, and now everyone needs to go to Italy. We are witnesses to things that capture our heart, that are beautiful to us, that are fun for us. We're witnesses to those things. So think of it that way. That's what Jesus is talking about. And so Jesus tells them, this is your purpose. You're gonna go to the whole world, empowered by the Spirit, and you're gonna tell them about me. You're gonna witness to who I am. And then Jesus leaves. He gives them this great news, and then he leaves. It's called the ascension of Christ. It's a doctrine in the church that is really, really important. It's just as important as the doctrine of the cross and the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. They, they, the scripture says in Acts, it says that they were standing there and they were watching him go up into the cloud. Why this is important is what Jesus is going to. You see, what Jesus is doing in his ascension is he's going to rule and reign. Later in Acts, Stephen is gonna be martyred and it says that he prayed and he had a vision and it says that Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Paul will say in Colossians and in other places that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. The scripture uses an imagery, metaphor of like a throne room because it wants us to know that Jesus didn't just go away and then hope that his followers got it or showed themselves or proved themselves. Jesus goes to rule and to reign. Jesus is in control and he's not far away. You see, the biblical world didn't think of heaven as out there or up there like we do. The biblical world thought of heaven and earth as actually as overlapping one another, as intersecting with one another. It's God's world. The up there, the heavens, the spiritual realm is God's world intersecting and touching every point of our world. Jesus is in control. He is the king and he controls everything in heaven and on earth. Jesus from his throne room where heaven and earth are overlapping, he sends his spirit to empower his people, not to make them puppets, but to be empowered by him for his purpose, to be witnesses of his words and his good deeds. N.T. Wright says it this way, this is what he says of Jesus's ascension. He says, the strange sovereignty of Jesus at the ascension began to exercise, the, the strange sovereignty that Jesus began to exercise wasn't the way that we do power. It wasn't by sending in tanks and forcing people to do what we want them to do. Jesus's power came about by sending his followers to do what he had done. This is what Jesus had done. This was the purpose for the church and for us the church. He says that Jesus sent his followers out to do what he had done, to love people, 
to tell the story of what Jesus had done and what he had taught, to create communities that would be world-transforming communities. And N.T. Wright says that is what is happening in the book of Acts. That's what's happening in the book of Acts. Okay, now we're ready for chapter two. So if you got your Bible, Acts chapter two, verse one says this, when the day of Pentecost came, so they were together, this was an annual celebration that the Jewish community would come from all over the known world to celebrate this day of Pentecost that celebrated the harvest and it celebrated and looked back to the time when God through Moses brought his law down to his people. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is now those leaders that we're gonna be seeing them, they're called apostles, that, that group that Jesus had talked to, but now it's kind of the, the whole group. There's like 120 of them who are believers and followers of Jesus. And it says they were all together. And verse two, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Up there came down here and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest upon them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It seemed that there was tongues of fire that were resting upon them. And this is really significant because in the Old Testament, when God's unique presence showed up, what was often referred to as his Shekinah glory, when God's glory presence showed up, it often showed up as fire, right? When God created a covenant relationship with Abraham, he showed up as a flaming torch. When God gave the law at Mount Sinai, there was fire and there was smoke. When God led Israel in the wilderness, he appeared as a pillar of fire at night. When the prophet Ezekiel sees God, has this vision of God, he sees fire everywhere, right? And then there's that moment when God shows up to Moses, remember that? When God appears to Moses to invite him into his purpose of rescuing Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, into freedom, and the scripture in Exodus says over and over, to take them out to worship. And what is worship? Worship is witness. Worship witnesses to the glory and the beauty of God. And when God shows up to Moses to give him this purpose, he shows up in a burning bush, right? One commentator said this, that on the day of Pentecost, on this day in Acts, and going forward, every believer is now a burning bush. Every believer contains the glory of God, the goodness of God. God is showing up. His glory presence shows up in his church, shows up in you, shows up in me. 
every follower of Jesus is now a burning bush. I love that. And I love that in that moment, the spirit falls on every believer. You know, Jesus could have done this. He could have just had those uh, apostles and said, I'm gonna pour my spirit on you and everybody else will just kind of have to follow you. I'm gonna put the spirit on these like unique leaders of the church. No, in that moment, in that room, the spirit came down on men, on women, women, on young, on old. The spirit came down on every believer. And there's this interesting thing in the New Testament that when the spirit descends, the spirit does something unique. The spirit not only brings power, but the spirit confirms identity. We all wanna know who we are. We all wanna know why we matter. We all wanna know if we matter. And that's one of the beautiful gifts of the spirit is that when the spirit comes, think about Jesus at his baptism. So Jesus is stepping into his uh, ministry, his public ministry, and Jesus is baptized. And in that moment, we're told that when Jesus comes up from his baptism, the spirit descends upon him and he has a confirmation of his identity. He hears the father declare, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And you say, well, that was Jesus. Of course, he, the spirit descended upon him and he heard the father say that. But here's what Paul tells us, that the spirit does the same thing for you and me. That the spirit comes and gives us assurance of who we are. Romans chapter eight, there's other places in Galatians and others that say a similar thing, but Romans eight says it this way. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now don't get locked up on the gender thing there because it's actually really good news. Paul is writing to men and women and he's letting women know you have all the same privileges as a son because in that time, only sons receive the inheritance. What Jesus does through his spirit is that there is a adoption into the family of God and Paul says, and by him, by the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You see, the Spirit descends upon this first church and empowers them for their purpose. But the Spirit also descends upon this first church and assures them of their identity. And that's important because now they can live out their purpose, not as striving, not as proving, not as trying to get God to do something through them, but as children, already accepted, already loved. That's how God accomplishes his purpose, through us, little burning bushes, 
who he calls his children. Let's go on, verse four. All of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This is important. Every known nation is represented here. Every language, and language is culture. Culture is language. It says in verse six, when they heard this sound, a, a crowd came together in bewilderness. What they heard, the sound that they heard was all these new believers, 120 of them gathered in this place. They heard them declaring the wonders of God, but they heard them in their own language. This is a miracle. They were bewildered, it says, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these, aren't all these who are speaking, aren't they all Galileans? They wouldn't know all of our languages. They wouldn't have our language. How, verse eight, how then is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And then, Luke, the author of Acts, lists all these different languages because he's making a, a really, 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 really important point. He lists the languages, Parthians, Medes, Elamites. I can't even pronounce most of them, so I won't. But anyway, he lists all of these languages. And then he says, he says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue, in our own language. What does this mean? Here's what it means. What it means is God is doing a deliberate miracle because he wants something to be known here. He wants it to be known that no language, again, language is culture, culture is language. No language, no ethnicity, no people group has precedence in his kingdom. No group has precedence over any other group in the Christian faith. No language or culture can say we were the originals. Started with us. There's a scholar at Yale, a former Muslim, who wrote a little book called Whose Religion is Christianity? And he makes this point. He makes the point that no culture can claim that they are the right culture of Christianity, which is di different than Islam. Because of this moment at Pentecost, when the message of Christianity came to all cultures, all languages at once, when you become a Christian, you remain in your culture. Now Christ comes into that and he comes into you and he wants to conform you into himself. He wants to conform you into the image of Christ but not into a particular brand of Christianity. And that's important. What is significant for us is that the church, we the church can never claim our way of doing church is the right way of doing church. Our way of church is the best way. All of the little wars that we have in the church around how worship is done and how everything, God has none of that. God loves diversity. 
And that's what he says right here in this moment. My wonders, my gospel message, the wonders of Jesus, that message is gonna be proclaimed right now, right here in every language for every culture. There's so much more that we could say about that. But again, we land on verse 11, reminds us they were declaring the wonders of God in their own tongue. And if you go back to the Old Testament, and we don't have time for this, but the wonders of God, that, that language there, that phrase there is, is, is in a lot of places in the Old Testament. And so what's happening here is that they're connecting the wonders of God are the wonders of Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about what they've seen him do and what they've heard him say. They're talking about that time that Jesus calmed that storm. He just spoke a word and the storm stopped. They're talking about that time when Jesus brought the dead to life. They're talking about that time when Jesus healed. They're talking about Jesus's teachings that were like no other rabbi. They're declaring the wonders of God And friends, that's our purpose too. Not just for religious leaders, not just for the church staff, not just for the Christian professionals, but for the engineer and the housekeepers and the CEOs and the stay-at-home dads and the stay-at-home moms, the firefighter and the police officer, the doctor and the nurse, right? All of us, no matter what we do, you're a student. You're a a professor. You are called and invited into and empowered by the Spirit for this amazing purpose of declaring the wonders of Jesus in what you say and how you live. All of us are burning bushes. And so I wanna just finish up this way real quickly. I wanna talk about how do we do that? Four things, real quick. Four ways that we live out this purpose of being witnesses through our words and through our deeds. The first way that we do it is we do it by faith. We don't do it by fear. We do it by faith because we know that Jesus has ascended and he's in control. And so we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be performing. We don't need to be striving, right? Romans 8 tells us that God is working all things together for good, for his purposes, through those who love him. So we can do this by faith. And second, we can do it without burning out. God takes no pleasure in his burning bushes, burning out. And friends, I'm telling you, the church, the church is filled with burned out Christians. I've been one of them. There was a season in ministry for me. For about three years, I was on antidepressants. I'd kind of hit my wall. But you see, I was just striving and trying to prove, and if you're one of those people, if you're like me, if you're a performer, if you're kind of afraid of the imposter syndrome, right? That you're, that's you, right? Then we could be on the way to burnout. But that's never the way of God. 
I'm gonna send my spirit. And when my spirit comes, I'm gonna give you power. That's why Paul says that as you follow Jesus, he says, keep in step with the spirit. Don't get out ahead of him. Don't stay behind him. Don't try to prove yourself. Don't try to make this a race. Don't try to make this a competition. You stay in step with the spirit. Certainly the scripture talks about living our lives for God, but the gospel message of the New Testament is that we live for God by being with God. And so many of us are putting the living for God before living with God, and we're a bunch of burnouts. So we wanna do this by faith. We don't wanna be burning out, and we wanna do it with humility because we know, again, as we've talked about, there is no hierarchy of Christians. There's no hierarchy of churches. There is only Jesus, people, right? The kingdom of God is diverse. Every tongue, tribe, language, the language in Revelation uses the word ethnos. Every ethnicity. We all together make up God's church, God's kingdom, and we are unified not by how we do it, but who we worship. We are unified by Jesus. We cannot claim our worship style above any other worship style. We cannot claim the way we do church is better than anyone else. We want to be the church is best expressed in all of its diversity, racial diversity, socioeconomic diversity, cultural diversity, political diversity, the wonders of Jesus are for everyone. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every culture. And the last thing, real quickly, we wanna do this, we wanna be witnesses empowered by God who do it with uninhibited joy. I love at the end of this passage, you know, they're saying, what does this mean? <laughs> And why are they all talking in our language? Why are we hearing it in our language? And then some of the people say, they're drunk. That's, that's the conclusion they come to. Now we're gonna talk about that next week because Peter's gonna stand up and say, um, they're not drunk, it's too early in the morning. So I guess maybe they would have been drunk later. But he's basically saying, too early in the morning, they're not drunk. This is a miracle of God. And what you're seeing is uninhibited joy. Let's be a church that witnesses to the beauty and the wonders of Jesus with uninhibited joy, not drudgery, not duty, but absolute delight that we've known and we've seen and we've been ambushed by the love of Christ. Uninhibited joy. Oh God, I pray, would that be true of me? Would it be true of us as a church? Would you pour your spirit out afresh and anew upon us, this church, Menlo Church, up and down the peninsula, on each one of it, upon me, Lord God, uh, that we would live by faith, that we wouldn't burn out, that we would have humility as we live into your purpose for us and we would do it with uninhibited joy. Every tribe, every tongue, every language 
proclaiming, declaring the wonders of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father, oh, what a privilege to belong to you, to have our identity locked into you, God, because you adopted us by your spirit. We say thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.